0: Howdy! Welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I add on a special guest, Gina D'Alfonso, who recently released a book called Dorothy and Jack, a book that unpacks the friendship between C.S. Lewis and Dorothy Sayers. Gina also edited a book from Plough Books titled The Gospel in Dickens that sort of walks through Dickens' novels and basically illustrates his faith through his work. One particular book that we thought about as I talked with Gina was Peter Lighthart's Miniatures and Morals, the Christian Novels of Jane Austen. If you're interested in books about books or interested in hearing about how an author's faith sort of manifested itself in their work, I can't recommend Lighthart's Miniatures and Morals more. Go get that, it can impress. Com. And without further ado, meet Gina Delfonso. Welcome back to another week of Canon Calls. This week, we have a special guest, Gina Delfonso. Did I nail that last name? You did. Awesome. Welcome, Gina. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. Author of the brand new dorothy and jack thank you so much for sending that over and for taking the time to be here oh thank you can you introduce us to yourself please
1: sure i've been a writer for many years now i've written for a number of publications including uh the atlantic christianity today the weekly standard uh first things and others as he said, I just recently wrote Dorothy and Jack, The Transforming Friendship of Dorothy L. Sayers and C.S. Lewis. And also, I have uh, The Gospel and Dickens, selections from his works that just came out. Uh, they actually came out within a month of each other, so that, <laughs> that was a crazy time. And uh, before that, in 2017, I published One by One, Welcoming the Singles in Your Church, which was also with Baker Books, as Dorothy and Jack is.
0: Okay, fantastic. That's a heck of a byline. Very impressive. Let's jump into Dorothy and Jack first. Let's pretend, uh, however unlikely, that folks are unaware of who Dorothy Sayers is. Who is she?
1: She's best known as a detective writer, creator of the Lord Peter Wimsey series, which was very famous and popular in its day and still is. But not as many people know she was also a Christian apologist. Playwright, a translator of Dante's Divine Comedy, and many other things. Many people today, many Christians today, I should say, know her essay "The Lost Tools of Learning," which is very um, popular with the classical Christian school movement.
0: I've but heard of it. I've heard people, of that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. But people who who know her just through that uh, come to find that that's just the tip of the iceberg of who she was and what she did. She was. A brilliant scholar, one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University, and a writer of just so many different things, fiction and nonfiction, and a personality that was energetic and outspoken and boisterous and fun. And uh, all of of these uh, were among the things that C.S. Lewis liked so much about her, which is one of the, the things that spurred me to write this book about their friendship.
0: Definitely a lady of letters. Mm -hmm. And all the kind of different letters that you mentioned. Can you tell us, I think folks would be fascinated to know, about the Detection Club for Mystery Writers? Yes.
1: She was writing in what we call the golden age of detective fiction, which included so many great writers, including Agatha Christie and G.K. Chesterton, and just some of the greatest names of the mystery genre. So a bunch of these great figures got together and formed what they called the Detection Club. Uh, Chesterton, I believe, was the first president of that club, and Sayers succeeded him as the president. And they had great fun. They put together a little list of rules for what constituted good detective fiction and, you know, how to keep faith with the readers, you know, don't just come up with solutions out of nowhere. You have to play fair. You have to provide clues that that a reader can put together and just all these sorts of things. And they would have meetings where they had a skull, <laughs> which was named Eric. And I think I think you had to like take an oath on Eric when you <laughs> joined the club or something like that. So all these fun rituals and things that they had uh, it seems to have been a very lively and interesting club. It would have been great to uh, attend a meeting of that. And uh, yeah, so that, that's... And Agatha Christie was in it too, now that I think of it, and um, Marjorie Ellingham and other great names of the period. So that, that is um, uh, a really interesting and exciting thing that she did.
0: Yeah, sort of like the detection ver- detective version of the of the Inklings, per se. Maybe even more fun you than that. You can them.
1: say that, yeah. Yeah, you could say that. That's very true.
0: So it's certainly a fascinating moment in letters, especially on that country alone. You know, books have been just written and written and written. Um, And much is made of friendship during that time, as we mentioned, the Inklings. And even I just recently had uh, a Chesterton biographer on to talk about... um, uh well many things but one of which was his relationship with hg wells and of course now the name goes away from me now but um someone else who wasn't necessarily you know in agreement with chesterton but anyway lots has been written on this and you chose to write about lewis's relationship with friendship with uh dorothy sayers tell me about that how did that interest come about
1: i first read them extensively in college both of them well I, i had read a little bit of lewis in high school. But then in college, I took a class in uh, theology and great uh, Christian writers, or Oxford Christian writers, I'm sorry. And they were two of those writers, uh, Lewis and Sayers, along with Tolkien and others. I first began reading both of them extensively, and I became aware then uh, that they had a friendship. But their friendship isn't known as well as, say, Lewis's friendship with Tolkien, I like to say it's sort of hiding in plain sight. We people generally know of it or know a little bit about it, but not many people know exactly you know, how long and how deep their friendship went and how many letters they wrote to each other and just what what that friendship meant to both of them. And so a few years ago, it occurred to me to write about this friendship and just to sort of share it both with fans of Lewis and fans of Sayers. There, there's some overlap in that group, but um, there's not always a lot. I, I tended to find, as I've been getting feedback on this book, that uh, they tend to have sort of distinctive fan groups. So one thing that's been fun has been showing, you know, Lewis fans, well, here's a friendship that was really important to him and Sayers fans. Well, here's, here's a relationship that was really important in her life and just sort of uh, bringing them together a little bit.
0: Of course, of course. So, she was this uh, masterful writer. What did she do? What was sort of her day job? What did she was she at Oxford?
1: She graduated from Oxford and then she came back eventually to the town of Oxford to work there for a little while. Interestingly, she and Lewis lived about half a mile apart then because he was still attending oxford she was working there and it's fun to think that they might have run into each other at some point of course but we don't know that. <laughs> that, that they uh she was working at blackwell's uh which is a bookstore that's still there and she was working for their publishing arm and so uh it's quite possible they crossed paths at some point but she tried a little bit of everything she tried working at blackwell's tried teaching and eventually went into advertising and did that for a while. But then while she was still working there, she came up with the idea for a detective novel and got that published in 1923. And that was Whose Body, which is the first Lord Peter Wimsey novel. And so I think it may have taken a couple of entries in that series before it really took off, but then it it did take off. And so uh, she was eventually able to uh, devote her time to writing.
0: You talk a lot, uh, or you talk quite a bit about her her project on Dante. Can you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about her project there?
1: Her interest in him really started during World War II. She actually grabbed a copy of The Inferno on her way to the bomb shelter, which, uh, you know, not everybody would do that, but she (laughs) did. And she had sort of been aware of Dante before, as any educated person would be, but she hadn't really read him much. So that was when she really fell hard for his work and started, you know, just tearing through it and eventually decided she was going to learn, well, old Italian, really, because Dante's Italian was not the same as modern Italian. So she had to learn his brand of Italian and then decided to do her English translation. So uh, she ended up spending the latter part of her life just pouring energy and effort into Dante because she enjoyed him so much and she wanted to... To share that enjoyment with English readers who maybe hadn't encountered him yet.
0: Of course, uh, I'm curious to know with someone like her and as fascinating as she is, what what was it that in particular intrigued her about Dante? Was there anything that sort of you know very that that rhymed with sort of her sentiments about the world or writing, or what was it about about it that she was willing to you know, like you said, work so hard on it for a large a large portion of her life?
1: Well. It's the same thing, I think, that every generation keeps discovering about the classic writers, which is just that they are surprisingly entertaining (laughs) when you sit down and take the the time and the trouble to really get into them. She just found him the most wonderful entertainer, Uh, very clever, very witty, first-rate storyteller, and she loved these qualities in him, and she wanted other people to see them too. That he wasn't just some stuffy dead writer, but that he was vivid and alive still through his writings. And I believe one of her friends told her that you know it's just like having somebody sitting there and telling you a story. And she wanted to, she wanted all his readers to feel like that. She, in her translation, she wanted to bring out that that vivid, lively storytelling quality that would make people say, oh, this is really good. This, is, this isn't at all what I expected. This is real and funny and alive. And I, I think, honestly, I think the same holds true for so many classic writers who get dismissed as stuffy. It just requires that you be willing to sit down and try reading them with an open mind and looking for the qualities that are there.
0: No, I love that. I love that. I feel like that uh, you're exactly right. Everyone, is, I went to uh, a school where I taught liberal arts. And so there's that moment of like, wow, I have to actually read this now. Oh, this is super hard. And then just peeking over that, the sort of the downhill enjoyment of, wow, how do I give this to every single person I know?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Maybe that's a great segue into one of the original reasons that I wanted to hunt you down to talk and to interview you was about this series. I believe you're the series editor, correct, of uh, the Gospel in Books?
1: Actually, no, but I am the editor of the latest entry, (laughs) the the Gospel in Dickens. Okay, great. I I would be very... I would be very honored to be the series editor because it's a marvelous series. Uh, But now I just, I just came on board for the gospel and Dickens and yeah, reached out to them and they said they would love to have an uh, entry on him.
0: Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, sort of what attracted you to the series? And of course you chose Dickens. So can you tell us about that?
1: I I believe my book is the sixth entry in, in the series. So it's been going for a while now. They have the Gospel in Tolstoy, in Gerard Manley Hopkins, in Dostoevsky, and George MacDonald. They even have a, a Gospel in Dorothy L. Sayers. <laughs> that was the entry before mine. Okay. So I had collected these books and just loved the way that they sort of take the author's works, give you some excerpts of them, and trace the, uh, the Christian themes in them. And I have been a longtime fan of Dickens. Uh, I I have a a little blog. uh, I've had it since 2009, I I believe, where I just uh, write about Dickens. So I and I've always been interested in the role that Faith played in his life and in his work. And so I thought, well, there should be a book in this series about Dickens. And maybe they would let me be the one to do it. And I reached out to them. And they were very welcoming and enthusiastic. So that's how I got to do it.
0: Fantastic. The format of the book. So if someone were to order your book today, what do they get? Like, what what's inside of it?
1: Well, they would get, I, I always tell people that Dickens really did the bulk of the work on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they, they would get lots of, of uh, pieces of his stories and a little bit of his letters, too. and. There is an introduction and commentary and notes by me, okay. which sort of introduces the, the the pieces of his work and ties them together and, and sort of brings out the various uh, Christian themes in them. And then we have a wonderful forward by Karen Swallow Pryor, who was, who was good enough to, to contribute that because she is a great expert on Dickens, and fan of Dickens, and um, <laughs> the very first person I thought of when I wanted a forward was, was Karen, <laughs> and so I, nice. I was just so thrilled she was able to take the time to do that.
0: Of course. Well, recurring guest of, of this podcast, so say no more. We, we know all about Karen, so um Mm -hmm. okay and then so maybe a good point of uh maybe we could go this way with with the structure of the book it seems like there's a there's obviously a presupposition that how faith interacts with literature i suppose in terms Mm -hmm. of like a hermeneutic how did how did you think through when you i assume you picked the the particular pieces that went in there what are you looking for like how are you reading an author that you think like wow this is it this is the gospel moment can you talk about that process
1: Yes. Well, with Dickens, there are very strong themes of sin and redemption. Now, he was living in a Victorian world where a lot of things were changing very rapidly. The Victorians were, they were sort of starting to rethink the world. You know, Darwinism was beginning to make its mark. In the economic sphere, there was industrialization and just everything was changing. And Dickens was very much a man of his time. And yet, uh, unlike some of his peers, he really held on to his Christian way of seeing the world and his belief in um, Christian redemption. He wasn't always the most orthodox of Christians, and I talk about this in the book. He could be very, very critical of the Church. He gravitated more and more throughout his life, he gravitated toward a faith that was, if you will, based directly and solely on the New Testament and not so much on, you know, church tradition and church history and so forth. So so there were, you know, advantages and disadvantages with that. But his views were very much oriented to and shaped by uh, the beliefs in sin and redemption. He looked at the injustices around him. He looked at the way the poor were treated and he was absolutely savage against those things. He he did not pull punches. He lashed out. He was furious. He put all that into his writing, but he was also a great believer in redemption. I mean, take just a, the a Christmas Carol alone, the story that everybody knows through through one version or other, and you can't have that story either without Scrooge's great sins of selfishness and miserliness and stinginess and lack of care for the poor or without his redemption which turns everything around so both of those things are vital to his worldview, and they come into his works and so you see great despair over the sin of the world but you also see great hope that somehow things can change
0: things can change yes perfect okay is there i'm curious you you mentioned these books kind of came out uh somewhat within a month of each other is that right
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Is there anything that you found, or maybe as you think about it now, with Dickens and then with this project with Dorothy and Jack, have you learned something about yourself in terms of what you're interested in, or have you drawn parallels between these two works, uh, or at least these uh, the authors of the works?
1: These three people, uh, Dickens, Lewis, and Sayers, have all three been my favorite writers for a very long time. I've never been able to pick just one of them as my favorite. So <laughs> they, these three are all... top. Yeah. And wow, so it's, wow, it's right. it really it, that in just one year, I was able to uh, write about all three of them. It, it was it was really, it felt like a gift from God. It, it was just a, a very special experience. All of them, I think, have something significant to say about faith, about life, about the world. And all of them, I think, have just an honesty about their writing and uh, a humor, and great, great talent, and just so many things that appeal to me. And I can just keep reading them over and over again with no uh, no diminishing of enjoyment.
0: Well, I think it's really awesome that you have had the opportunity to, to not only to, to get to write, but you've written about you know, the people you love the most. I think that's really awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, it was great.
0: What is in store for you next? I mean, you've run out of t- your top authors. You know, what, are you writing, <laughs> is anything in the works?
1: Uh, well, not at the moment, because just because I've been so busy uh, promoting these two books. Um, the Gospel and Dickens just came out in September, and Dorothy and Jack just the months before that. So yeah, I've been ma- making the the rounds uh, mainly by Zoom and telephone, of uh, promoting them. But yeah, I, I do um, I do still write articles occasionally. I um, I write for uh, Christ in Pop Culture sometimes, you know, wh- when and where I can. As far as another book,
0: I, <laughs> I don't no know. I, I, I think
1: I think it might take a while just for me to. To get more ideas. I wouldn't mind writing more about Dickens um, or or Sayers or Lewis, for that matter. <laughs> but uh, we'll have to see, you know, how the responses to these books are and, and how things go.
0: Of course. No sweat. I was just curious. I thought, man, what what? Uh, 2020 has really gone well, it sounds like, for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I'm curious. So, these books are available, I assume, everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I assume Amazon and as well as the sites at Baker or at Plow. Um, right. Now, if you were to recommend to folks, let's say they've never uh, read any of the three—Dorothy, C.S. Lewis, or Dickens—what what would what, what would be your first uh, recommendations in terms of getting to know those authors, besides your own work, which they should also get?
1: Oh my! <laughs> well, let me take them one at a time. The thing is, I always think it depends on the individual reader and what that reader is ready to handle and what that reader's tastes are. So for Lewis. Uh, You know, a lot of people start with Narnia in childhood. I actually didn't. I started, I think, with Tape or Mere Christianity, one of those. Um, I I forget which one, but I I believe I read them back to back in any case. So, uh, yeah, I tend to, I would tend to recommend one of those first. I think uh, Mere Christianity is very straightforward. Just a good introduction to Lewis, as well as a good introduction to Christianity for the uninitiated. And screw tape, of course, is uh, shall we say diabolically clever <laughs> and funny. And of and uh and the satire really really catches your attention and, and makes you think. And so I think that that may be a good one. But then of course he has lots of great essays too, if somebody wanted to start with a shorter form, maybe the weight of glory or something like that, which is a great favorite of mine, that might be a good entry point as well. For Sayers, again, uh if you like Detective fiction, uh, and you wanted to go chronologically through her books, you'd start with Whose Body* and then *Clouds of Witness*. But honestly, they all work pretty well as standalones. So you might want to start with *Gaudy Night* or uh, *The Nine Tailors* or *Murder Must Advertise*, which are some of her best. Or if you wanted her to read her plays on the life of Christ, which were published in book form, *The Man Born to Be King*. That's a wonderful, wonderful book. Lewis loved it. He read it every uh, Holy Week and said it just moved him greatly. So that's a good one. Or The Mind of the Maker is a great work on creative writing and theology. So again, any number of entry points with her. And then with Dickens, I tend to tell people to start with the shorter ones, <laughs> just just because he is verbose, just like the Victorians were, and you have to ease into him a little bit. So, of course, A Christmas Carol is short, and also very well-known and well-loved, and probably the easiest read. The other relatively short ones are Oliver Twist, Hard Times, Great Expectations, and A Tale of Two Cities. And I think any one of those is pretty good to start with, but especially Great Expectations or A Tale of Two Cities, uh, wonderful examples of storytelling.
0: Okay, fantastic. Gina, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, making the time, and I wish you all the luck in the world with the two books.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Of course. Appreciate you. Bye-bye.